1: Hello and welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom, and I'm Nathan C. Love. Today we have a freaking awesome episode. Yes, just just wait. In fact, you don't even need to wait. Just keep playing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we will start off by talking about uh, by giving an update on infrastructure, which is a really freaking important big deal that will that will affect your life, hands down. It's going. It will affect you. Um, and then we've got two segments dedicated to discussing the vaccine and COVID with none other than the esteemed retired anatomy and physiology professor, Raymond C. Love, AKA Nathan's dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we just finished recording that. And like, I think it's the most comprehensive coverage of vaccine and comprehensive best argument against vaccine hesitancy that I've heard to this point. Yeah. So uh, definitely stay on and listen to that
0: yeah and it really like that conversation it really does need to be focused on the science behind it i know that michael and i like to break down the politics and discuss the politics and i'm not saying that's not important i'm not saying it's not interesting but the most important aspect when talking about the vaccine when talking about covid should be specifically what is the evidence what are the conclusions and what is the path forward? And that's what we tried to focus on with the interview, and that's what my father focused on. And I'm really excited to for, for you all to hear about that. Um, yeah. And uh, and, I, and I don't I don't even really need to do a transition into the COVID numbers because we were, that's what we we were just talking about. Yeah.
1: So um, so go COVID for numbers so far. <laughs> yeah, they are uh, worldwide. We're sitting at we broke the 200 million cases. Uh, Mark. Yay. Yay. (laughs) We're sitting at 201 million total cases of COVID up from 197 million last week. So that's 4 million new cases, which is um, about the same growth in about the same number of new cases that we saw from the week before. Um, At this point, our daily, our average daily new cases is where we were of October Uh, in last year, so like after the first spike when everybody was saying, oh, there's going to be a second wave before there were three more waves. um, Mm -hmm. That's where we are right now, uh, relatively speaking. So far, deaths sit at 4.27 million people worldwide who have died, which is up from 4.20 million from the week before. That's about 70,000 new deaths. As a reminder, last week, that number was 60,000. The week before that, it was 50,000. So you can uh, draw your own conclusion about the trend. Um, mm-hmm. So far, 55 uh, doses of the vaccine have been administered for every 100 people, which is up from 52 per 100 six days ago. So again, similar increase in uh, the spread of the vaccine as you know we continue to march, the long march towards full vaccination, full, I guess, eligible vaccination. Um, In the US at this point, 36.1 million people have gotten COVID, which is up from 35.5 million a week ago. Um, That's 600,000 new cases in just seven days. As a reminder, uh, that number was 500,000 the week before and 300,000 the week before that. Um, (laughs) So we have basically doubled our daily average case rate from, from this time a year ago. So back when literally back in 2020, the year of COVID, uh, we're double where we were in August of
0: 2020.
1: Oh dear. Oh dear. (laughs) Um, and as you'll learn from our segment, uh, Delta may play a role, but, but not getting vaccinated and reducing precautions play the biggest role. So, Stay careful, stay vigilant, and get vaccinated. Um, So far, 631,000 people have died in the U.S. from COVID, which is up from 628,000 last week, which is 3,000 more deaths in a week, which is about 50% higher than it was from the weeks before that. That's 430 deaths per day, 156,000 deaths per year on an annualized basis, which would put it at the fourth leading cause of death in the United States. And the only reason that's not way higher as cases continue to spread is because the vaccine prevents severe cases of COVID, prevents hospitalization, and prevents death from COVID, even among the breakthrough cases of people that still get COVID when they're vaccinated. Yeah. So far, fifty percent of the US is fully vaccinated and fifty eight percent have at least one dose, which both of those numbers are up just one percent from last week. Not so we enough. are we are inching towards oblivion as fewer like as you know, as people get vaccinated at slower rates, we're just not nearly where we need to be in order to call this thing done.
0: Yeah. And I'm still seeing people pretend that the pandemic is no big deal. Yeah. Like I actually like just today I was scrolling through my Facebook and some guy I went to high school with um, posted this meme where it was like someone, it was like someone says, um, you're not worried about the Delta variant. And then it's, it's the meme with uh, that, that kid from we are the Millers with the confused face and the caption read, you guys are still playing pandemic. It's like, What the fuck? Like that's crazy. Still (laughs) again. (laughs) Like I mentioned last week, the entire population of Wyoming and then some is now dead in the United States from COVID. Like the number equivalent to the entire population of Wyoming and then some died of COVID. Like (laughs) how, how is anybody still in denial I mean, it's like it's like if there was a meteor hurtling towards Earth and we could see it in the sky. The entire sky was just lit up. And there were still people running around saying stuff like, oh, well, they say that there's a meteor coming, but we're still here. So why mm-hmm. should
1: we worry about it? I don't think there's a meteor. <laughs> just, yeah. come. I mean, on. at this point... 11% of the US population has had covid. Yeah.
0: 11%. Yeah.
1: That's crazy. And,
0: and I I I have some family members, several family members actually right now who have covid. Yeah. And that I'm very worried about.
1: Approximately 1 in every 500 people who were alive before the pandemic have died from covid. Jesus.
0: Jesus that is So let's talk about something um less doom and gloom and this time I actually mean it let's talk about infrastructure
1: yeah. all right let's do it
0: <laughs> So this is uh the second segment we've done about this particular strategy there was a uh, there there was an episode that we did not too long ago the title was that's a bold strategy biden and <laughs> the strategy that we were talking about was the fact that the Biden administration is apparently trying a sort of bifurcated strategy to pass a traditional infrastructure bill alongside what they're calling a human infrastructure bill, which has uh, more priorities from the Democratic Party, such as uh, universal pre-K, uh, expanding Medicaid to cover dental, um, you know, hearing, and uh, vision. Um, it also... Uh, it also guarantees two years of tuition-free community college to students. Which, real quick, I, I, on that specific point, I do believe that colleges and universities should be tuition-free.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But especially with community colleges, it's just—it's so important. I, I am a community—I am a community college professor, mm-hmm. and I cannot tell you how many students that I've had who have had to miss classes because they've been working to try to, to pay off their time in community college.
1: Yeah. To, to pay for the classes that they have to miss.
0: Exactly. And grades have suffered because of it. I've had to try to be Mm -hmm. as accommodating as possible. And I, I've seen students just fail my class Mm -hmm. because of financial strains. And I can tell you firsthand that tuition-free community college, you know, obviously it's not all that we want it to be, but it would make such
1: a big difference. A huge difference. Community college is an incredibly powerful lever yeah. for people to better their lives. It's like yeah. literally the it's literally the one of the only paths to actually bootstrapping, which is yeah. the whole strategy that Republicans are always pushing for. Uh it, it, yeah, it, it would make such a big difference if that were if that were yeah. free. So so anyways, the strategy is to do
0: a bipartisan bill, which is gonna be the traditional infrastructure bill, which is already supported by quite a few Republicans at this point. Uh, it does. Yeah, look I think like, it
1: recently passed sev- like with seventeen Republican votes on a preliminary vote
0: yeah. in the Senate. Yeah, so that is more than enough to overcome the filibuster. Mm-hmm. Um, to pass that alongside a partisan bill, the, this this partisan spending bill, the human infrastructure bill, which they would do through reconciliation. So remember, if you're, doing, if you're trying to pass a bill in the Senate through regular order, in order to overcome the filibuster, you need all 50 Democrats to vote in line, and you need at least 10 Republicans to vote uh, for it. Um, and we've talked about the filibuster before. We've explained that before. You, you can go back and listen to our episode about that. Um, but if we're doing it through reconciliation, then all you need is basically a a, a simple majority. Mm-hmm. Um, so because there's a Democrat in the White House and there's a 50-50 split in the Senate, Democrats effectively have control of the Senate because Kamala Harris is the tie-splitting vote. Yeah. Um but what that also means is that every in order to pass something through reconciliation, every single democrat needs yeah. to to vote for it.
1: Mhm. So which means you've got to reduce your strategies to the lowest common denominator. Whoever is who whoever defines the the most conservative boundary becomes the most powerful democrat in the Senate. Yeah. So, Which, so currently, mansion and cinema are arguing over that position. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> so, so my initial reaction to this strategy was, you know, I, as you could probably tell from the, the title sarcastic of our other episode, sarcastic. <laughs> episode wow, this is this ain't gonna work. Yeah. And I'm still skeptical, but we'll see because mm-hmm. it looks like at this point, Nancy Pelosi might actually be walking the walk. Yeah. So the concern that I had initially was that they're going to put forth these two bills together to make it seem like Democrats fought long and hard for this human infrastructure bill but ah we failed because you know the Republicans and you know because mansion and cinema but but the rest of us Democrats were all good. And mm-hmm. look, look we just passed a bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, look at how great we are. Like, Democrats, good, yay, whoopee. And, and, and my assumption was basically that the reason why they separated these bills out was because they wanted to have an out.
1: Mm, so the more progressive one could die without yeah. killing the less progressive one. Exactly. And they could and, still get credit for passing an infrastructure
0: bill. And that is still my concern. Do not get mm-hmm. me wrong but at least at this point Nancy Pelosi has specifically said that they will not take up the bipartisan bill mm. unless the partisan bill also passes the Senate now we'll Nancy see if Pelosi.
1: she yeah. wow we'll see
0: if she sticks to that yeah i'm i'm a little bit skeptical
1: cuz people were pushing back when AOC came out and said that and for Nancy yeah. Pelosi to take the same Hard well, line.
0: Nancy Pelosi said that she wouldn't bring it up. AOC straight up said she'd vote against it.
1: Mm.
0: Which, because there's a razor thin margin in the House of Representatives at this point, all you need is a few progressive uh, House reps to be like, "Nope, fuck you," and yeah. and it's tanked. Which yeah. I would actually say that that's a I, I approve of that strategy. Hmm. Now, some of you might be hearing that and thinking, "Wait a minute, Nathan." You're saying that if you can't have all of it, you don't you 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 want to tank the bipartisan bill? You're saying that you know if you if you can't have everything, you want absolutely nothing. And if the bipartisan bill was only good things, only additions, then that might be a decent point. I mean, I probably still would be saying that they should go along with this strategy. But yeah, the problem is. From a is, negotiation perspective. From a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. From a negotiation perspective. But the problem is, there are actually, if you look at the fine print in some of the proposals in the bipartisan bill, there are some deeply, deeply concerning strategies that they're planning on trying to use in order to pay for this. So the proposal. To pay for the human infrastructure bill, that's the partisan bill, is what you'd expect from Democrats, raise taxes on the rich. And they've also proposed some extremely important uh, tax reforms, such as increasing capital gains tax on the highest earners and increasing increasing the corporate tax and increasing the estate tax as well. Which again, the the estate tax only affects the top two tenths of one percent. So, so you know, cry me a fucking river.
1: <laughs> Why do we even have a special tax? Like it's crazy to me that there's any debate over a tax that just yeah. like take it all. <laughs> like like ugh. Um So anyways.
0: Basically, the way that they're planning on paying for a lot of aspects of the bipartisan infrastructure bill is through privatization. So hmm. specifically through public-private partnerships, private activity bonds, and asset recycling. So let's focus on the partnerships and the bonds. So one of the strategies that is off that that has been proposed by Republicans in the past. This was actually proposed by uh, Wilbur Ross and Peter Navarro in the Trump administration um, which is to use what are called private bond buyers. Basically, you you have people, you, you lend you loan money from, um, from private citizens and you promise them, Uh, You you promise them interest. You promise them an equity share with dividends. Um, Essentially, you say, we'll pay you back with interest. It's a bond. It's a loan. It's a loan. Um, Specifically through profit generated. The issue is, when we're talking about profit generation in terms of the building of infrastructure, there's only a few ways in which it's going to end up being a profitable venture. The first way is by cutting corners that might be bypassing uh, what would normally be public safety regulations. It might be paying your employees less than a living wage, which, by the way, was an amendment that was proposed by one of the Republicans to this bill, specifically so that you, you don't have to adjust payment towards the specific area for contractors in order to make sure that they're being paid a living wage. Um, which that amendment was killed ultimately, uh, to be clear. Um, or, and this is the part that should really get your blood boiling, toll roads.
1: Because <laughs> you know what we need more yeah. of? <laughs> toll roads. Yeah. It cost me $25 to go visit my brother and his children. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> historically, privatizing infrastructure,
0: uh, giving private companies more power over the direction of which public infrastructure goes is inevitably going to lead to worse outcomes yeah because the public sector their priority is not about making profit their priority is about getting the job done the Mm -hmm. private sector by definition their primary priority is going to be to make a profit yeah and the they're going to find ways to do that, which are never going to be focused on improving
1: the public good. Yeah. And that, see, that's the thing. So, like, Republicans would push back and say, well, private industry makes things more efficiently. And the evidence for that is private industry makes things for cheaper. Yeah. And and maybe that's a symptom of efficiency. But to Nathan's point, it's it's a more likely bet and one that we shouldn't make that it is a symptom of uh increasing risk not taking care of your their employees or driving like or basically charging people a tax for a road that was built with their tax dollars. Yeah. And and the thing about tolls is we shouldn't underestimate them, right? Like tolls aren't just bad. I've personally seen the impact that a toll on a critical road can have. I I lived in a community where a toll was imposed on a central bridge down in, down in Southeast Virginia, and that community died. People, ha- people couldn't have jobs on the other side of the river anymore because they couldn't afford to go to their jobs.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, toll roads are basically a regressive tax. Yes, exactly. I mean, let's be real. Because the thing is, big businesses depend on people having access to their businesses. Like if, if you mm-hmm. build a Walmart, you depend on people having access
1: to roads in order to come yeah. to your business. And depend on access to roads for your goods. Like, like a tractor trailer would pay the same toll or maybe a little bit more, but a similar amount as a car yeah. using the road more. Yeah. So
0: the other really concerning aspects that I mentioned earlier was a, a thing called asset recycling. So let's, ex, let's talk about what asset recycling is. So basically, asset recycling is when public assets are sold to private investors. So think about, say, um, he, he, here's, here's an example. So in Chicago, the city of Chicago in uh, 2009, sold off 36,000 parking meters to Wall Street investors, all right? So parking meters that would normally have been generating city revenue were then given over to uh, to Wall Street investors, all right? The city was paid $1.15 billion um, for, for selling the parking meters. And this was used specifically to plug holes. You know, they, they needed to plug a bunch of potholes and that's how they chose to try to pay for it. However, the catch is that the projection is that Chicago drivers, uh, and this is according to um, uh, prospect.org, uh, Chicago drivers will pay $11.6 billion over the 75-year life of the deal to the park and fees are scheduled to raise eight. 100%. 800%.
1: You know, I recently heard from a group of people, I love Chicago, but it's too expensive to park. Like I just can't afford to park there. And this is like, why that is. That's weird. That yeah. is that blows my mind. When the thing like think about the impact of the city. Like I don't know if that one study takes this into account, but think about the tourism impact when people in the surrounding suburban Chicago, Chicago area realize that they can no longer afford or it's no longer worth the trouble to go and spend money in the city of chicago to yeah. go and visit museums or the sears tower or like like you are you are cutting your nose like you're 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 cutting your nose to spite your face yeah and it gets worse um whenever they sh- shut down the street
0: for parades or festivals or whatever they have to pay the company for revenue lost <laughs> so they end up losing even more money um they can't make improvements t- like you know uh, for for sidewalks or bike lanes because it might shut down the roads and cut down on the profit margins it's just it's a terrible deal yeah it's an absolutely terrible deal and it's abs- and it's absolutely terrible way of of paying for this so, and this yeah. is how like the the way that the bipartisan infrastructure bill intends to pay for infrastructure, And, you know, Michael mentioned that as many as 17 Republicans at this point have already signed on to it. The first question you should ask is, if 17 Republicans are approving of something, let, let's take another look at it. You know, yeah.
1: we should try <laughs> that. We should try to change the bill a little bit to lose about seven of those.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like maybe maybe there's you know, maybe there's more to it. So yeah. here's what I would say. Based on all of this, based on the fact that this bill would privatize a significant portion of infrastructure, I would make the argument that if this bill was the only thing, like if we're not even talking about strategy, we're just talking about this bill alone, if I were in the Senate, I would vote against it.
2: Hmm.
0: Not even talking about the... strategic parts of it if i were in the senate based on the merits of this bill i would vote against it the only circumstance in which any democrat especially any progressive democrat should vote for this bill should be if it is coupled along with the 3.5 trillion dollar bill because to me that's the compromise yeah all right this bill is not a fucking compromise. This bill is a huge giveaway to corporations. Hmm. The compromise is okay, give away some to corporations, get free community college, get universal pre-K, uh, expansion of
1: Medicare, yeah, higher child tax credit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's yeah.
0: So that's I mean that that's 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 where I'm at with this yeah. bill, and and the thing is, progressives need to use all the leverage that they have at this point because uh, Kirsten Cinema, who is you know, my favorite, uh, like my favorite <laughs> disappointment, um, has basically straight up said that she's against the price tag on this, like the the, the price tag on the partisan bill, hmm. and. You know, I I think that AOC and you know if Nancy Pelosi is serious, yeah, when she says I'm not going to take up this bill until you you give me both of them, I'm not going to pass one of them without the other. Um, she needs to she needs to double down on that. She needs to you know basically tell Kirsten Sinema and also you know of course Joe Manchin, look the infrastructure in both of your states is falling apart. You want this bipartisan deal. You're going to pass this one
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: we will tank it if you don't.
1: Yeah. And they, then they should be willing to do that. Yeah. you can only hope this gambit continues to pay off because it has so far, right? Like the fact that Republicans and Democrats both really care about bringing some kind of infrastructure, uh, spending, uh, you know, passing some kind of infrastructure spending means that there's leverage and, uh, we need to like continue to capitalize that leverage because Nathan's point, like not only is the bipartisan infrastructure bill, not, you know, really sufficient on its own. The partisan infrastructure bill would really change life in America would make a Mm. huge difference. And, um, in a way that we desperately need like investing in uh the in like the underserved investing in education investing in health is like the table stakes of the path forward for the united states economy uh, and the united states role in the world like we'll talk we're gonna talk this week we'll talk sometime in the future about um, you know the, the us 's competitive position in the world against other superpowers, and the reality is that year by year we are losing not only our influence but also our ability to keep up with country, like with, with many countries around the world. and if we can't treat our illnesses, feed and our people, and educate them so that they can innovate for the future, then um, yeah, then we can we can say goodbye to our leadership status in the world. And if that's not compelling to you, we can say hello to the growth of authoritarianism.
0: Yeah. And the last point that I want to make on this is uh, th- there were two other aspects that the uh, partisan infrastructure bill does pick up that are worth addressing. And that is specifically... Uh, extending green cards for uh, immigrants and clean energy requirements for utilities. Mm. So those two things are included in this bill. Now, there is a huge concern that the Senate parliamentarian is going to take one look at those and be like, nope, you can't have those. And I actually, I actually want to read a very brief excerpt from the New York Times that kind of frames it in a way that I, I want to make sure that you that you hear and that you know to watch out for. The New York Times frames the issue with the Senate parliamentarian as quote, "The Senate parliamentarian could force Democrats to overhaul or outright jettison the clean energy standard, the provision that climate activists and many scientists most desire, as well as the immigration and labor provisions, among others. So, one concern is that there will be some centrist Democrats, or conservative Democrats, I should say, that included the, uh, the, the clean energy standards and the, um, the uh, immigration reform not with the intent for it to be passed, but with the intent to make it seem like they were actually trying to do something on those two areas. Because the framing is going to be, we wanted to do this, but the Senate parliamentarian forced us to jettison it. You know, And again, that's the framing that I'm reading from the New York Times. So this isn't just me being conspiratorial. That's the framing mm-hmm. from the New York Times. That is a weaselly piece of garbage because the Senate parliamentarian can very easily be overruled. All right. The Senate parliamentarian can be fired. Um, their decision can be overruled by the vice president. I mean, I, I, I I often point to this example when we talk about this during the, uh, the attempt to pass the, the Bush, the, the Bush tax cuts during the Bush administration, there were some parts of the Bush tax cuts that the Senate parliamentarian was like, nope, you can't do this under reconciliation. And at the time, the Republicans were like, all right, fuck you very much. You're fired. Mm-hmm. Democrats because can do that can. too. Yeah. Democrats can do that too. The, the Senate parliamentarian is an unelected staffer. Like hmm. she has no real power. Um, she can easily be overruled. And if Democrats aren't willing to do that, then they're showing us that they're a bunch of fucking weasels um, and you, you can't let them get away with trying to scapegoat the parliamentarian because it's a bullshit argument.
1: And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment tips for good. So Nathan, why do we do tips for good every week? Well, Michael,
0: we do tips for good every week because I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. Mm. I'll be there before you like I've been there before. Mm-hmm. I'll be there for you because you're there for me, too. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Hold on. There is another reason. What was it?
1: Oh oh I, uh, um, to make shit. to make small manhattan apartments illegally sublet a better place. Mm, there we go. There, there it we is. Go. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it. that's it. That's it. <laughs> or actually enormous manhattan apartments. Yeah. Cuz <laughs>
0: you know <laughs> something really. like that. If if more people yeah. did that, I mean that would just the world would be a better place.
1: It Fuck. would be a be- oh, better pl- that's it. There we that's go. it.
0: It's Making the make, world make, a better okay. place. May, fair enough. Yeah. So Michael, what is our tip for good this week?
1: Well, our tip for good this week could also be a bad actually. because that actually is all around us um unfortunately uh we are as you know you've heard at the top of the episode with the covid numbers as you're going to hear uh starting in our next segment from from raymond in a worse and worse position with covid and and as a result um of the unvaccinated we uh well you know the people that are vaccinated and Will have to take up a mantle once again, um, along with presumably everybody who's already been, you know, wearing masks because they're unvaccinated. Uh, people who are vaccinated, according to the CDC, should now start wearing masks again in public indoor settings, uh, specifically in areas of substantial or high transmission. Um, so, you know, this is specifically because of, you know, the growth in cases in the united states breakout cases um among the vaccinated as well as the transmission of cases uh, you know from people that contract covid uh and you know can obviously still spread it around whether vaccinated or not um and because of the circulation of the delta variant so you know as people um you know as cases start to go up we've seen upticks um and as vaccination rates stagnate um this is just the way the world is going to be for a while so um you know vaccinated people should definitely wear a mask indoor in public spaces with substantial or higher demis- transmission if you're not sure about your transmission level just wear a mask indoor spaces it's it's as simple as that if you're with someone if you if you're immunocompromised or if you're at high risk for covid or if you live with someone who, who has either of those things um you should definitely wear a mask regardless of level of transmission, even if you're fully vaccinated. Um, yeah. And you should, you should wear a mask and get tested if you have exposure to someone who has COVID-19, um, you know, whether you're vaccinated or not. So even if you're fully vaccinated, still get tested, uh, you know, uh, wear a mask indoors in public settings for at least 14 days, Uh, or until you receive a negative result um and uh the cdc also recommends universal indoor masking for all teachers staff students and visitors to schools regardless of their vaccination status because as you may know kids can't get the vaccine but they can get COVID.
0: and that's tips for good All right, up next, we have a very special guest interview with former professor of anatomy and physiology, Raymond Seelove.
2: Dad, as as I call him. Uh, (laughs) Dad, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, Before we begin, I have a couple of questions. One, um, am I the podcast's special science correspondent?
1: I guess you are. Yes. Yeah. At this point, absolutely.
2: (laughs) Hey, great. Yeah. Two, how much does that pay? (laughs)
1: <laughs> as much as we get paid. Yeah.
2: <laughs> You're a full partner. <laughs>
1: that's how you get rich. Getting get into the podcast game. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's why we did it. I mean, yeah, it's for the money. Um, yeah. If you've listened to the show for a while, you've definitely heard Raymond's voice. He's, he's not only been the voice of science, uh, but of reason more than once on the show. Yeah. Um, we've done a number of discussions with him on COVID, um, and the COVID vaccine. And given where we are with both subjects, the rise of the Delta variant and vaccine hesitancy, um, we wanted to bring it back on. Yeah, but but Dad, so um, I mean, I thought the
0: pandemic was over. So why is it that we have you on the podcast right now?
2: You know, um, the pandemic could have been over. It Hmm. really could have been. There have been a lot of things. There have been a lot of mistakes along the way. Early on, if there had been a really serious isolation attempt worldwide, um, the pandemic could have been over in two or three weeks. Hmm. Um, And it would. And as as hard as a, shut, a worldwide shutdown would have been, it wouldn't have been as hard as this. Mm. Um, more recently, um, if we had kept up the, the trajectory of vaccination in the United States uh, that we were seeing in the first three months of this year, uh, it could be over in the United States at least. Uh, but that didn't happen either. So when the White House talks about the pandemic as being a pandemic of the unvaccinated, that's not just a political phrase, it is absolutely true. Yeah. So
0: one question that I would have, especially, you know, since you brought up the vaccine, one, one of the arguments that I keep hearing, not just from talking heads on uh, right-wing propaganda networks like Fox News, but on the feed of my Facebook from people that I know in my personal life is basically, if vaccines work, um, why is it so important that people take them in order to protect other people? And if they don't work in, in protecting yourself enough, then why take them at all?
2: Yeah, you know this is this is good, and it's it's an excellent question, and the answer to that question is very different now than it was just a couple of weeks ago. A couple okay. of weeks ago, the answer to the question was we don't really have any data about um, whether a vaccinated person can still contract and be infected without symptoms, but infect other people. Okay, But just this past week, um, the CDC released the uh, data from a study that was done in Massachusetts. And that study showed a number of things very clearly. And one of the things it showed was that people who have been vaccinated can get infected. Mm -hmm. They rarely get sick, although they do occasionally get sick, and um, I think we should probably be careful not to mention uh, the specific names of family members, but we have a family member uh, who was vaccinated, who was very careful, uh, and who is sick with COVID right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's a rare thing. But it, you know, it's not that rare. It it happens. Um, the other thing that that Massachusetts study showed was that vaccinated people who are infected, whether or not they show symptoms, they do shed virus.
1: Hmm.
2: Now, this this is going to sound subtle. Sorry about this if it's too scientific, but the study was only showing the, um, uh, the RNA virus, um, the RNA um, copies. It didn't show actual um, viruses. Mm. So we assume that the copy numbers that we were seeing in that could be infectious. We don't actually know that for sure. Um, it's possible that it was RNA fragments and there were no viable viruses, but it is, it's better to assume at this point that there are actually possibly infectious viruses. So, getting a vaccine is still very effective at protecting you from getting an infection, but not perfect. If you get an infection, it's very effective at preventing illness, hospitalization, death. So it is is worth getting the uh, vaccine. However, getting the vaccine, as much as it protects you, it does not necessarily protect other people from you which is why it was a mistake to lift the, ma- the mask mandates. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, now, I I was kind of glad to see the mask mandates lifted because oh. I thought that that would help to incentivize getting vaccines, give people a reason, hey, if I get the vaccine, I can take the mask off. Um, but I was worried because we Hadn't clearly shown yet that that would still protect other people, yeah. and yeah, it doesn't at least not perfectly. So you said that
0: it doesn't necessarily protect other people from you. Does it still like? Does it still provide a certain amount of protection? Because one of the things, one of the arguments that we've been making, which you know we hope is accurate, but we just want to make sure, is that the decision to get the vaccine is not just about individual protection, it's also about protecting those around you. Is that, is that still the case?
2: That is absolutely the case. Okay. Um, so, in order for the virus to continue to replicate, it has to have a chain of hosts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, even even if the vaccine only, protects you 90% and 10% of people can still get Hmm. infected. That still makes it much less likely that the chain of infection will continue. Hmm. Um, People who are not vaccinated uh, have a very high chance of getting the infection and therefore becoming part of these chains of infection. So Getting the vaccine is a huge step to reducing the chances that you personally will contribute to one of those chains of infection. Yeah. Wearing a mask, in addition to getting the vaccine, is those two things together make it almost impossible that you will be part of one of those chains. If there's a chain, right? The chain depends on how many people and how concentrated the people are that can still be part of those chains who aren't getting the vaccine and being masked, and that is the reason that we are seeing such a weird pattern. You know, our I I was day before yesterday, hundred and thirty-seven thousand plus infections, and then. Yesterday, it was even more than that. I don't remember the exact number, 140-something. Anyway, um, when you look at a graph of new infections, it's already surpassed the what we saw in last summer's peak. And the question you have to ask when you look at that is, are we seeing a brief blip or are we seeing the base of a logarithmic curve? And right now, you know, it's hard to tell, but it kind of looks like the base of a logarithmic curve. I'm starting to get scared.
1: Mm. And and the only reasonable thing to do in response to that is assume that it's the base so that we can make sure that it's not, right? Like,
2: yeah. So if you drill down further into the data, what you find is that virtually all of those, the vast majority of those infections are coming from the few states that have very low vaccination rates. Yeah, that's where the chains of infection are occurring in states that are actually have very high vaccination rates. We're not seeing those same chains. Mm -hmm. And then if you look just within states, like Virginia is a state that's in pretty good shape, except for a couple of key places. And one of those key places is right here in this county where I live. (laughs) <laughs> and right next door to the, in the next county and then there's another pocket over around virginia beach and another one yep. in southwest virginia other than that virginia is doing great
1: <laughs>
2: but it's it's the the number of people who are vaccinated in a county and the infection rates they they are so closely tied in the data that we're seeing in this outbreak. This, this is what I meant when I said earlier, it's not just political talk, the whole you know, uh, pandemic of the unvaccinated. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we're seeing in the data. Um, vaccination can't protect you completely. And if you wanna be protected completely, you have to be really careful about your exposures too. So one of the things we've been seeing this summer is people have pretty much said, great, the pandemic is over and they're yeah. taking off their masks and they're going out to restaurants and they're going to gyms and and sweaty aerobic classes, um, hmm. huffing and puffing next to each other. This is crazy. It's not time to be doing that. Hmm. Yeah, man,
1: I wish More people have told me that. (laughs) Now that I've been huffing and puffing inside, but (laughs) but like the but yeah, I think I don't know if I don't know if the messaging was driven by by a similar uh, drive that you mentioned, Raymond, where you know if we give people the incentive that when they get vaccinated, life can go back to normal, will they then get vaccinated more? Um, I I don't know about others, but I perhaps took that too much to heart. Um, I think the issue shed my mask. It outdoors and, uh, and, um, you know, perhaps yeah. did a bunch of risky activities. Well, I think the issue there
0: is that the concentration of the messaging was, if you do this, then life will go back to normal, you can stop, like wearing a mask, you can stop restricting yourself. But yeah. the people that are not going to get vaccinated are the people that already weren't taking the pandemic seriously.
2: All right, so so here, th- this is a common problem in science. Mm-hmm. What does you mean? Is you a singular or a plural? Mm-hmm. Um, if you as a single person do this, that's not enough. Yeah. Because yeah. that's not the way viruses work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you as the whole country do this, yeah, that works. Yeah. And that never happened.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> we yeah.
2: we've still got we've still got states with uh, vaccination rates in the thirties.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, ultimately, this is about math, like, at least that's the way I'm thinking of it. It's about the probability, it's about one, reducing the probability that if you come into contact with someone who is infected, you will get sick or transmit the disease, which is what the vaccine, that's the main function of the vaccine. And and to your point, that's the main function of all vaccines, reduce that probability as low as you can go, and then get enough of those people concentrated such that there's few enough infected people bouncing around ne- like near each other that chains can form and then yeah. get a, it can it can grow exponentially.
2: So, yeah. you know, people people kind of have an an unrealistic view of what a vaccine can do. Mm-hmm. Um, when when people think of a vaccine, I. I think they generally imagine that what you can get is perfect sterilizing immunity from it. Yeah, yeah. And there's almost no vaccine that actually does that. Mm, Yeah. Um, It's Vaccination is great, but immune systems are complicated and vaccines don't perfectly protect you. Yeah. which is why this whole concept of herd immunity is important. It's not just what you do. It's what everybody does mm, Yeah. Um, because that affects the chances of these chains of transmission continue. Yeah. So the, the longer these chains of transmission go, the easier it is to develop new variants.
0: That's what I was going to ask
2: about next. Right. And so go, go ahead and ask your question. I'll, yeah segue into variants.
0: Yeah, so so we've already established that the decision to get a vaccine is not just about personal protection, it's about public protection. And the points that you've brought up are, number one, the fact that the vaccine is not 100% effective, and the more people that get the vaccine, the more people are
2: protected and the more... Let me just comment on that quickly before you move on. It's not 100% effective but it's like 90 something percent effect. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a blockbuster vaccine. This is one of the best vaccines ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But hundred percent is unrealistic to ask for. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. So basically what that means is that if you have the vaccine, you have, you know, almost, you know, you, you have a little over 90% effect, a, a, a little over 90% protection, but you know, if you are within, like, like, let's say it's 90%, if you're in the 10% um, of people that are not protected or the 10% of the time in which it does not protect you, then you can still be infected by someone that chooses not to get a vaccine.
2: Or that you were protected for, say, six months and now you're not anymore.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. And then the other point that we haven't talked about uh, in this particular conversation, but Michael and I have brought up a few times is that there are some people that cannot get the vaccine because of some medical reason. Uh, and those people deserve to be protected. And the only way they can be protected is with herd immunity. Um, so then the third reason why it's not just about your own personal protection, it's about the protection of everybody, is about variants. Because the more people get a specific virus, the more likely variants are to develop. So. Let's let's talk about that for a bit. So, how did the Delta variant develop? And well, well, actually, let's let's take a step back. What is the science between behind how variants develop and how that can potentially make vaccines less effective?
2: Um, all right. So, all all living things go through an evolutionary process. Um, And and the word evolution simply means change. And in this case, we're talking about change in the genetic code. There are always changes that occur um, because the the, the DNA or RNA, in this case, copy uh, process is not perfect. And those changes, uh, the vast majority of them make no important difference at all. Um, And so they're irrelevant. So a lot of times you might find a um, a viral um, variant with a different uh, genetic profile, and it may have no importance whatsoever. It might not have any difference in its viability, in its uh, ability to spread from one to another, infectious. Uh, nature in its, in its uh, virulence, how, how sick it makes people, might make no difference at all. When you first find a variant, um, you don't necessarily know if it has popped up or even if it's widespread, you don't know if it's widespread because the genetics made it better at replicating or if it was just an accident. Hmm. It happened to be the one that was part of a super spreader event that was disproportionately responsible for spreads purely because of human behavior and nothing to do with the genetics at all? Or do the genetics make some difference? It's starting to look fairly clear that the genetics of the Delta variant make a little bit of a difference. making it a little easier for it to spread. Frankly, the difference is not that big. Hmm. Um, there's also a new variant um, that is called Delta Plus. Um, it doesn't sound good. It's a, yeah, it, <laughs> worse it. it really is. Um, it's a, it's another, difference, it's very much like the Delta. It came from Delta, but it has another small change in it. Not really a big enough change to get its own separate variant classification. But there's some preliminary evidence that it might spread even just a little bit better than the Delta variant. Um, But, you know, this this thing about variants has kind of been, in, in my opinion, it's been oversold hmm. as oh my god you know it was it was fine for you to be complacent back when we were only dealing with the original virus but now that we've got delta you've really got to get vaccinated hmm. you know what that's bullshit
0: interesting hmm. hmm. um, interesting
2: you really needed to get vaccinated even without delta it's hmm. you know the 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 argument is not about whether Delta changes everything. Um, The basic things that you need to do are no different now than they were before the Delta variant Hmm. or any of the other variants. Yes, Delta might make a little bit of a difference in how fast it spreads, but vaccination rates make a much bigger difference. Hmm. Um, So far, all of the... US approved vaccines, I I also want to acknowledge that we've been kind of oversimplifying by saying the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. Lots of vaccines. And um, when I say the vaccine, I'm kind of focused on the two RNA vaccines, messenger RNA vaccines that are approved in the US, the uh, Moderna and the Pfizer uh, vaccine. Some of what we've said doesn't apply as much to the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, and it doesn't apply um, really yet that we know to the, um, uh, some of the ones that are being used in other parts of the world, the uh, Sputnik vaccine, the um, yeah. uh, they, they are they don't appear to be anywhere near as effective as the messenger RNA uh, vaccines. Anyway, back back to my point on all of this. (laughs) Um, The mRNA vaccines look like they are um, spectacularly effective against the Delta variant, against the Delta Plus variant. Um, They might be slightly less effective against those variants than against the others, but we've still got a vaccine that is so bizarrely more effective than we had any right to hope for that that really is not the issue.
0: Yeah, interesting.
2: Is how many unvaccinated people there are throughout the world in places where the vaccine is not widely available enough. Yeah. And in the US, where it's widely available and people are saying no.
1: And now it's time for one of our favorite segments Ass Hat of, of the week. week. So, Nathan, who is our Ass Hat this week?
0: Well, Michael, our Ass Hat this week is a returner. And I, actually, mm-hmm. uh, she was recently an Ass Hat um, right wing commentator Candace Owens. Candace Ooh. Owens, come on back. Your triumphant return.
1: Yeah, so quickly. She was like not really on our radar all that much. I guess Google has picked up on the fact that we read an article about her and now she's coming up more. <laughs> <laughs> so what yeah. did Candace Owens do to, to make it on again so soon?
0: So you know how um, there's that big worldwide sports event thing going on? Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it was I, just I in
1: Greece. Th- <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah so uh summer olympics has been going on and um unfortunately uh the united states has been eliminated uh they actually lost to canada and canada is going to be going to the final in in um, soccer gotcha in soccer sorry yes yeah. in soccer i believe I not said in that. all of as, the olympics yeah 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 not in all the olympics <laughs> <laughs> um and, or, or as the rest of the world calls it um football uh because apparently we own Sports names. I don't know. It's it's, it's kind of <laughs> weird. Anyways, so you know I, when I read that, I was like, man, that that sucks. You know that, yeah. that America didn't win, um, but apparently not everybody is upset that America lost. Hmm. Um, so uh, there was a tweet from the U.S. Uh, women's soccer team, um, basically saying that you know the, the 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 defeat it was heartbreaking, but it was hard fought, and good luck to Canada in the final. So Candace Owens responded to that and tweeted, quote, not heartbreaking at all. Um, Megan Rapinoe is an anti-American piece of trash who does not represent our country anywhere ever. Any person who disrespects the flag that sons and daughters are sent home beneath while fighting for our freedoms overseas deserves to lose repeatedly. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's actually deserved to lose. It's bad grammar well um, you but anyways yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you steal
1: man the grammar yeah
0: <laughs> um so anyways uh let's let's make one thing clear so so it it seems like she's making a reference to the fact that they took a knee prior to the start of the
1: game mm-hmm. yeah, um sure but you but know here's, naturally here's... they took a knee uh, to disrespect the troops because of the national anthem right
0: uh well well here's the thing funny story um the the United States national anthem doesn't mm-hmm. play at the Olympics
1: but but before uh, a game but uh, America <laughs> that's my main so counter argument here
0: so some people some people on Twitter pointed out the fact that she seems to be she she almost seems to be implying that when she was kneeling she was like kneeling during the um during the national
1: anthem uh-huh. at the Olympics Hmm. Which, yeah, I I'm still confused, but American Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> the national the national anthem plays everywhere.
0: <laughs> so, I I don't know. I it, It's just such a stupid mindset. And also, let's, yeah. let's 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 talk about the whole anti-American piece of trash. So, right. someone who is protesting police violence. Look, even if you are somebody who is a denialist that racism exists, that um, police officers are actually uh, disproportionately um, committing police brutality against black people, which, you know, you can look up the statistics. It is that they absolutely are. Approximately a quarter of the people that are killed by the police are black, who make up like 13% of the United States population. We call that disproportionality. Um, but even if you are a denialist, I mean, how can you say... That a person protesting something that you don't believe is an actual injustice, but they believe is an injustice, is just doing it because they're a piece of trash.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, <laughs> it seems to me like it makes more sense, and we've actually talked about this on the pod, that you should be calling her an idiot, not a piece of trash. For example, I if I were to say that a person such as Candace Owens is, uh, is blatantly ignoring facts and statistics regarding... Um, regarding violence and also blatantly ignoring the fact that nobody who is kneeling during the flag is thinking, I'm doing this to shit on the military. If I were to, you know, if I were to try to ignore that, um, that she actually might know that and thus is actually just being a dishonest piece of shit. Then the nicest thing I could say about Candace Owens is that she's just a fucking idiot. Mm Mm-hmm and yeah. that's what I would do because I care sure. about being nice. All right. So,
1: <laughs> and about being accurate. And about right? being accurate. You know, you don't have to call someone anti patriotic for being wrong.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so Candace Owens, I'm not going to call you anti patriotic. I'm just going to say you're a fucking idiot.
1: And, and you're welcome. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome, Candace Owens, for being yeah.
0: our <laughs> ass of, 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 of the
2: week. week. We, I, I, we
0: do understand that there are some people that are just true believers. You know, it doesn't matter what you tell them. doesn't matter how much science you show them. They're just not going to get the vaccine. All right. Maybe if you're a family member and you try to use emotional appeals, that might work better. But for the people that are skeptical of the vaccine for actual scientific reasons or because they are uncertain about the science behind it. I do want to ask some questions that you know to to hopefully help alleviate some of those concerns. So I can't, I can't promise I'll
2: alleviate them but <laughs> I will try to illuminate well,
0: them. At least yeah, illuminate them, at least give us give us an honest discussion and an honest understanding. So that people who are making who, who are skeptical um have all of the tools and all of the information.
2: So so here's a, a serious problem with the vaccines as we have them right now. Um the three vaccines that are approved in the US are approved under emergency use authorization. They are not a general approval. And That is a problem for many reasons. One of the reasons is that there are people who are more concerned because of that. Um, They would rather see a general authorization, and I'd really rather see a general authorization too. Um, But there are some other issues that are I think even more important than that one that are problems with the emergency use authorization. One is the legal standing to require it. Um, It's very uncertain who legally can get away with a vaccine mandate when it's only authorized under an emergency use authorization. Can an employer get away with it? it? Will it get challenged and uh, effectively in court? Can a, um, you know, it's probably gonna be easier for uh, healthcare industries to get away with that and for it to pass muster in court, but other industries, it might be more difficult. Um, Colleges, um, what about small businesses that don't want to allow unvaccinated people into their premises? Um, can, they, can they do that? You know, there, there are legal questions that we don't really know the answer to. Yeah. Um, here's another really important thing. Um, under an emergency use authorization, you can only use the vaccine specifically in the way that it was studied when drugs or vaccines or anything are given a general approval, once they are approved generally, then uh, physicians can make medical decisions and they can use things off-label if there is good research to, to warrant that. One of the reasons that we can't do boosters right now, even though it's beginning to look like boosters will be necessary eventually, Whether whether it's necessary right now or not is is not clear from the data, Um, but it's going to become clear. And I think there's a very good chance that boosters will end up being necessary, but boosters cannot be given right now under the emergency use authorization, because that is not what was part of the protocol in the studies that were done to get the EUA in the first place. Once there is, a general authorization, then um, physicians will be able to look at data and decide uh, if it makes sense for an individual patient to get a booster vaccine. Uh, and that's going to be really important.
0: And, and how long is it for a general authorization to?
2: Uh, so typically, a year or two. Hmm. Uh, and that's not going to be OK. Yeah. Um, so, because so oh. is working really hard. the The reason it usually takes so long is because it's a complicated thing. You have to go through and analyze much more data than in the EUA. Um, there's and the F, the FDA has just an order of magnitude more data that they have to go through page by page to make sure that everything is correct and that it's ready but beyond that they also have to uh inspect every portion of the manufacturing process in every place where manufacturing occurs and not just in the final assembly in every precursor that leads up to it it is a monumental task and yeah and the Pfizer vaccine, for example, it's, it's, being, it's being made in dozens of laboratories all over the world. There are lots of laboratories that are doing part of the process and sending components somewhere else. All of this has to undergo a thorough FDA inspection in order for the general authorization to occur. So the FDA is under a, a lot of pressure and they're working really hard all hands on deck, everybody drop what you're doing and focus on getting through all of this. Yeah, Um, I hope that they can get it done within a couple of months, but it's really critical. We need it fast and we need it because we've got to be able to figure out when to give boosters. We need it because we've got to be able to advise um, companies, uh, colleges, what they can require. And, and we've got to have it to relieve the, um, the concerns of people who are legitimately looking at this and saying, emergency use, you know, I'd like to see more data.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, putting on my vaccine skepticism hat, hmm. um, about like, just like, theoretically speaking, if you have a rigorous process, presumably, the steps in that process are important for the rigor of the process. And so if you forego those steps in order to, you know, more quickly reach a conclusion, do we have reason to think that like that though there were, you know, important parts of the process that were
2: skipped. And that's, and the FDA has not skipped steps. Mm but that's why we only have emergency use authorization and not- gotcha. cool. So when
1: it's said that the FDA hasn't skipped steps, it's they haven't skipped steps in the emergency use, author- use authorization process right. co- relative to general use that
2: truncated. Unfortunately, emergency use, there's there are very strict limits to how you can do it. Now, yeah. not, not everybody in the world has been approaching it this way. Hmm. Uh, Russia and China, for example, have not done it this way, but the US has. Um, the U.S. is being very careful, and the fact that the U.S. was ahead, in spite of being more careful than some of these other countries, is pretty spectacular.
1: Yeah,
0: interesting.
2: It's a huge win.
1: Yeah,
0: interesting how the United States is more careful, and it also has more people that are skeptical of the process.
2: Um. All right. So so let me. Let me say something else about data. And this is actually going to touch on, uh, Nathan, one of your favorite topics, uh, universal health care. Ooh. <laughs> so this is another example of how the lack of universal health care in the United States is seriously, seriously hurting us. Yeah. Um, people who are in the... Uh, vaccine trials are very carefully tracked. But we've got way more people who've been vaccinated now than just what was in those trials. But in the United States, all those people who've been vaccinated, um, their their records are all over the place. They're not connected in a way that you can pull them together and analyze that data en masse. For a long time, we've we've had this weird situation uh, in the world of science where some of our best medical research is coming from tiny countries in Scandinavia and Great Britain. And the reason they are able to give us such amazing studies is because they have access to all of the, the, with, with good privacy protections right? But researchers have access to all of the medical records in the entire country. Hmm. They can actually do things like look at, for example, every single person in Norway who has a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder and look at their records to see what vaccines they've gotten to see if there's any connection. And they can easily do that. They can easily bring all that data together. And it's one of the reasons we know that autism has nothing to do with vaccines. Hmm. Um, But these are tiny countries. Imagine if the United States had a single payer or universal um, healthcare program, that would involve medical records that could be compiled universally and used in research at the CDC or licensed out to other areas after suitable um, depersonalizing information, if the United States with the size that we have could have that kind of data, and, and you know this is true with all kinds of diseases, but what about COVID? Yeah. If we had an easy way to just push a button at the CDC and instantly compile all of the data from all of the people who've been vaccinated, we could know right now any possible extremely rare side effect, anything. And we don't have access to that because we don't have, you know, it, it would be so easy to be able to have enough data to be on a general authorization instead of emergency use. If only we could get that data and we can't get it because this country is still not willing to do universal health care. There are lots of other reasons for universal health care and all of them would be sufficient in themselves. Yeah. But damn it, the (laughs) scientific reason.
1: Yeah,
2: especially so important
1: especially with the growth of our ability to even process and pull patterns out of that data exactly all exactly. of a sudden the huge limitation is the fact that it's in more than one spot that yeah. is astounding and frustrating to me you
2: know even yeah. 10 years ago mm-hmm. it would not have been possible to make use of that data exactly but the the data evaluation techniques have uh, grown so much that you can mine that data for
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I personally can process. I, I, my job personally can process gigabytes of data uh, in in just a matter of a few minutes, and like that is mi- like hundreds of millions of rows of data. And yeah, it's yeah, it, it, it's crazy it, it, that our limitation is literally where we're storing it. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, And it it's unconscionable.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the fact that it can draw in this case. Not only you know the, the lack of universal health care drives death across the United States. In this case, it's driving people inducing their own deaths, people that are scared because we don't they don't believe that we have the information necessary. Um, and and yeah I think like it seems pretty clear to me that we have the necessary information, but to your point we don't have all the information. we yeah.
2: have so much more. Yeah, it, it would be so yeah, and- easy to have so much more, and for some reason we don't have the political will. So, mm-hmm. so we've, so we've actually got this bizarre situation of a a group, politically, the same group, saying we're not willing to have universal health care, which is what would get us all this data. And I'm not sure there's enough data for me to get vaccinated. <laughs> oh, <please>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: That's and funny. Why
2: don't we have this data? Come on. Yeah. Come on. And the so, thing- but, but, but let's let's look at what people can actually do. Mm-hmm. So politically, um, you know, pressure for a general use authorization, um, not pressure to skip steps, but pressure to Get whatever funding is necessary to help the FDA get through those steps as quickly as possible. Um, but I, I also think people need to think about this. You know, you, Michael, you you went to deaths, and yes, deaths are important. We want to try to save lives, but you know what? Some people are more concerned about economics and. I understand the importance of economics. I think that's incredibly important, too. And there are a lot of people who are afraid that the, um, the reaction to the pandemic could be causing more economic pain than the pandemic itself. But here's the thing. What makes that economic pain is people having to withdraw in order to stop the spread of infections. Getting vaccinated can help the economy open up. If you are a, if you're an economy voter, your patriotic duty is to get vaccinated and to convince other people to get vaccinated so that we stop killing our businesses in this country, yeah. Getting vaccinated is what you need to do to fix that. If you're worried about your loved ones, put whatever family force you can to get them vaccinated. There are lots of stories about people who were hesitant, but Grandma said, "You can't visit me unless you're vaccinated." Yeah. Well, you know what. The grandma vaccine mandate is absolutely legitimate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. and actually reminds me, I need to make a phone call.
1: (laughs) I'm sure Marjorie Taylor Greene would disagree with that as well.
2: (laughs) (laughs) More more grandparents in this country need to decide that they are going to enforce that mandate. Do it.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Parents of children who can't be vaccinated. Yeah, that's huge to me. Enforce a family vaccine mandate to protect your children. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, it is perfectly legitimate to tell a family member, look, we love you, and we're only going to love you by Zoom until you get vaccinated. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. That, that's definitely one of the things that we've tried to emphasize on the pod as well. Um, yeah. The last question that I want to ask, um, and this is sort of a direct response to things that I've heard from skeptics. What would you say to somebody who, said, who would say, because we, because the RNA approach to vaccination is a new development I'm concerned that there's not enough research about potential long-term effects of, um, of this approach because of, of how new it is. What, what would you say to people that have those concerns?
2: So first, it's not that new. Um, actual viruses have been doing this to us for a long time. Hmm. Um, And even in the laboratory, uh, this approach has, we've been working on this for 20 years and it's it's really very well studied. Um, But you know what? We don't have to convince people to get a messenger RNA vaccine. If you're worried about messenger RNA vaccines, that's okay, that's a reasonable choice to make. Frankly, I am really impressed with the messenger RNA vaccines, and I would encourage people to opt for the messenger RNA vaccines over the other vaccines because I I think they are spectacularly more effective, and I'm very excited about it. But you know what? You might not share my opinion on that, and that is fine. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a perfectly good vaccine. It would seem wonderful if we didn't have the messenger RNA vaccines, because frankly, compared to most vaccines, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's not quite up to the standards of the messenger RNA vaccines, but my goodness, it's amazing. It's, it's one of the best vaccines. And if we didn't have the messenger RNA ones, we would say it's one of the best ones ever. <laughs> so absolutely, if, you're, if you want a traditional vaccine, go ahead.
0: Yeah, so there, there, so there are options.
2: That's a reasonable choice to make, and make that choice. Yes, and mm-hmm. and it's easy to make that choice. Yeah. You, you can you can shop around. Ask uh ask your local drugstore what vaccines they have, and go to one that says we've got Johnson and Johnson. Fine. I I know I I
0: know I said that that was my last question. Um, here's a. a uh, an epilogue.
2: Last question. Um, what about oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, reporters try to dodge the question limits? Uh, I've I've got one question and five follow-ups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quick quick follow. We just follow-up. want an encore. Um, so man,
0: encore. <laughs> <laughs> so so with the Johnson and Johnson, um, there was a, a bunch of things that in the news about um, blood clots. For uh, women that were of of a certain age that had taken the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, it had only been like a few. But how concerned should people be about that? Um, and is there any actual evidence that the blood clots that had happened were caused by people taking the vaccine?
2: So that was that was one of the concerns. There was another concern about uh, Guillain Barré syndrome, and. Um, so here here's here's your choice in a in a world where um, covid is so prevalent um, you if you do not get vaccinated you are almost surely going to get covid eventually um, unless you're the only one that doesn't, doesn't get vaccinated and you get to benefit from Everyone else's efforts to give you herd protection, um, but you know the your choice at this point is not between um, having a vaccine and being healthy. Your choice is between having a vaccine and having COVID. And so, if you look at the chances of those blood clots as a complication of COVID, they are orders of magnitude higher than they are for the vaccine. So even if we have a barely detectable statistically increase with the vaccine, um, that still is the wiser decision to make. Hmm. Now, um, if you've got a choice of vaccines, then it makes sense for a person who is at higher risk of those blood clots, for example, women on birth control. It makes sense for them to say, you know what, this, this may be nothing, but it's easy for me to choose one of the mRNA vaccines instead of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and it's a better vaccine anyway. You know, This, this is an easy choice to make. Um, Guillaume Bure, Uh, is, again, orders of magnitude more likely to occur as a consequence of a COVID infection than from any of the vaccines. Um, It's not clear yet if there is an actual increase in Guillain-Barre with the vaccines. It would be clear if we had universal healthcare, (laughs) but it's not clear because we don't have an easy way to crunch all of that data yet. Uh, And the the trials weren't big enough to show it because it's such a rare side effect. Uh, You know, these things happen to a lot of people. And it's tragic when they do. And there are cases where vaccines can have an effect. There are some famous cases where really bad vaccines had huge effects. And we know that that is not the case with these, because if it were, it would easily show up in the in the initial uh, data. The fact that it doesn't easily show up tells us that if there's anything at all, it's really small. Yeah,
1: that's my big thing. That's my big takeaway from looking at all of the statistics about the few and tiny side effects is that it should give us so much more confidence in the vaccines themselves and our testing and monitoring protocols that we have isolated the tens of cases among the hundreds of millions of doses yeah. that are associated with these.
2: This, this is the real take home message of finding these, these small anomalies. The fact that we found them at all shows that the statistical power of the initial studies was absolutely um, what we needed in order to prove their effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And and it did prove their effectiveness. It proved their safety. You know, stop doom mongering and get a vaccine.
0: We have been talking to retired anatomy and physiology professor Raymond Seelove, AKA Dad, um, about, vaccines. Uh, Dad, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
1: And with that, we'll end our episode as we usually do on our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is that I just got
0: this really awesome video game. Yeah. Um, the It's called Horizon Zero Dawn. It actually came out in 2017, uh, but it was a PS... Uh, it it was a ps4 exclusive Hmm. um and i believe it just recently came out on pc and uh, i uh, my cousin kept recommending that i give it a try and holy shit this game is awesome it's like (laughs) it's it's stealth action rpg you're fighting machines you know Uh, last night i was i was randomly exploring um and i accidentally ran into this giant mechanical bird thing and had this like fight with it that lasted for like 30 minutes and it was really badass and when I finally got it I was so it was so satisfying and it's just a really good game like if you if you if you're a, if you're a gamer and you haven't tried Horizon Zero Dawn I definitely recommend it it's really awesome
1: that is awesome I know that no matter what is going on in your life if you get a new good well-crafted game you're happy yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you Michael what's your highlight uh, my highlight is is actually about this upcoming weekend um, I will be going on another bike tour with uh, two of my brothers, which is going to be really fun. Uh, we're going to be biking from Richmond to Williamsburg, you know, camping there and then biking back. So it's going to be a really, really fun weekend. Um, of course, we will be wearing masks indoors.
0: Hmm. Good idea.
1: And with that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again.